Dale Kent. You are 12 years old. And you march out into the darkness. To this great unknown. Something sounds like your father wants to come in and leaves. How long ago did your father die? At this point, it's two years since his dad died. Two years. And the first time you hear his voice in two goddamn years, and it's this. We see you charging through the woods, revolver in hand. You hear splashing in the distance. You know there's a pond nearby. But you have very little to go off of. Fog has rolled in and it's gotten quite dark. Save for a lonely moon in the sky that sometimes peeks through the trees. What do you do? How close are the sounds? They are distant. This thing is quick. But they haven't gotten any further. They have stopped. Dale takes a moment and stops because this is these are the woods that his dad who whose voice this thing has taken these are the woods where he taught Dale how to hunt so Dale I think takes a moment to think back on how his dad would talk about the lay of the land about how his dad would talk about um like access points and getting up close so you know you don't miss I think Dale is going to try to walk as quietly as he can because he knows his dad always used to say that there's nothing that makes more noise than a hunter trying to be quiet give me an act under pressure Seven. Seven. You creep up on this creature. I'm going to give you a worse outcome. You approach the pond. A pregnant moon lights the lake, or this, this pond lights this water. You see reeds and cattails waggle in the wind. And the silhouette of this thing hunched over half in the water. We see backlit by the moon. It's gnarled and twisted and long. With three segmented arms that sit low in the water, creep around on long fingers. It's hunched. A shrunken head twists several mouths that then stretch along its back and they open as they say where are you where 
Dale. And as it turns, worst outcome, you are a 12-year-old boy. You get one shot before this thing tears you to shreds. Kicks mass. That's an 11. Okay. This thing rips its own face wide open. Each one of these mouths rips into its own body, its cheeks stretching and splitting and sinews spewing blood and viscera as it screams and charges at you. Its long arms reach far past you as it snaps you right up, lifts you into the sky, and lit by a lonely moon. What do you do? As you see this mangled face twist, the mouths closing and opening, but when they close fully, you see your father's face. This thing has stolen your father's face and is now sullying it, ripping it, and twisting it over and over. Twelve-year-old Dale Kent, what did you do? Dale was frozen in fear as it grabbed him. As it its face twisted into his dad's, he, his hands were shaking. He remembered his dad telling him, get close, don't miss the shot. But he couldn't move. I think a bit of slobber or something drips onto Dale and snaps him out of it. Just in time, his hands reflexively pull the trigger, cock the gun, pull the trigger, six times. He doesn't care if it does harm to him at this point. He chooses to inflict terrible harm. He goes, you ain't my daddy. As he fires the last shot. Six angry bullets go up this thing's spine and through its head. As you see it collapse to the ground, its claws squeeze on your shoulders, and in one act of desperation, it bites upon your clavicle. Blood sprays. You are a child. This will almost definitely kill you. But in its death throes, it launches you through the air as you land in the pond. Face up, luckily enough. But from that bite, you can feel yourself slowing down. Blood loss or poison or something, your muscles aren't moving the way you need them to. And all you can do is float and listen to this thing scream and writhe and die. You look up into the sky and see stars and the moon. What's going through your head, 12-year-old Del Kent? Two years ago, Dale's dad had a heart attack in the mine. Dale had spent a lot of time thinking about 
what it must have been like to die down there in the dark, already entombed in so much stone. On the day he had buried his dad, he made a promise to himself. A promise that if he did die, he would make sure he could at least see the sky when he did. When Dale was laying in the pond, the only thought was that at least he kept the promise. And as you start to sink into the water, we learn that death is not your destiny today. And we see someone stand over you, this silhouette. For a moment you think the creature's back and you're doomed to die an ugly death. And you are pulled from the water. To hear. It's alright, son. I got you. Just breathe. And your eyes go dark as someone carries you out of the lake. We hear a, a woman's voice saying, He killed it. <laughs> this little kid killed this thing. Bring him here. In your closed eyes, you feel warmth on your shoulder. And you feel that that bite doesn't hurt. Suddenly, just goes right away. Not all the way. As we see you now sitting on a stump, your shirt peeled back, and uh, someone in their mid thirties, fellow wearing a you know like a denim jacket with a wool uh, collar, and uh, a woman. Wearing uh, one of those like fishing vests and flannels, uh, sitting behind you, and uh, together they're using fishing wire to stitch your wound shut. And uh, Adam McIntyre says, "You're right, son." Dale's woozy. I think he's conscious enough to ask, "What's going on?" You're going to be okay. We're, uh... We're going to keep you safe, son. My name is Adam. Pleasure. Sorry we didn't get here in time, but that ain't going to happen again. Who are you? We're, uh... We're family. We are, uh, well, why don't you get you back to the truck and we'll, uh, talk about it. Come on. And he picks you up and he holds you. And even though you're both soaking wet, this dude, he's warm. And you can see behind you as he kind of hefts you up. That monster has either sunken into the pond or disintegrated something. And Jolene gives you some water, some juice for your blood sugar. And uh, she hops in the driver's seat as uh, Adam sets you down. And we see the back truck door as it opens, as as Adam opens it for you. Uh, A little stuffed rabbit 
falls out and lands in the mud. And we look up and see that there's a little girl inside. She's got like gigantic brown hair, like very, very curly. And she's dressed in, you know, church clothes. And she has a thousand yard stare. She's not here right now. Don't mind her. Just, uh, you can sit next to her. Buckle up. And Adam hops in the uh, the passenger, the front passenger seat. I think Dale's going to pe- pick up the rabbit on his way in and try to hand it to the girl. She keeps looking forward. And uh, Jolene turns around and says, Hey, Britt. Can you say hi? It's okay. You're safe. He's a... Uh, I think he's just like you. And she turns and takes the mud-covered rabbit from you. And she smiles. She says, Hi. I'm Brittany. Hi, Britt. Uh, I think Dale's gonna kind of like bashfully just jump into the car, but before they close the door, I think he's gonna look out at um, Jolene or Adam or whoever's there. Mm-hmm. He's gonna say, "Am I going crazy?" Nah, you just had a bit of bad luck, and I'm so sorry that happened to you, son. Adam turns and he hands you this, like, brochure for the Gravewatch Junior Training Camp for Boys and Girls. And says, Look, we didn't do right by you this time. And you can clearly do right by yourself. If you want. We'd love to have you. We, uh... Look, turns to look at the the others in the in the truck. Try to keep each other safe, and uh, you know, family's family. Anywhere you go, you don't have to answer now. You're a kid. You got all the time in the world. The car, the truck starts, and the headlights turn on, and they drive to your house, assuming you tell them where it is. Mm-hmm. And they drop you off. I think before Dale gets out, he's going to pull the sword stick out of his belt. Yeah. He's going to try to give it to Brit. And be like, hope I get to see you again. She takes it. And, uh, uh, she, from her pocket, takes out this, like, crumpled pink flower and hands it over to you. Trade. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, and Dale will get out. 
they drive off and you see that uh uh pretty much as they round the corner all of them they, the, the truck stops at the road to make sure that you get inside okay and as they're doing so we see your mom's uh uh like bus pull up and she gets off and she like notes that and walks over and says Dale, honey, you okay? What's who was uh, that? Uh, they, they, uh, I, I got in some trouble. Um, but they helped me, and there's you can't be mad. But there's a raccoon in the dining room. Dale, come on, you can't keep. Keeping animals like this. They're wild. He's hurt. Okay. Let's see what we can do. She looks back. And you tell her. When you tell her that you were in trouble. And that she wasn't here. She's just relieved that you had good neighbors to take care of you. And locks you into the house. To take care of that raccoon. And the grave watch leaves uh, when they finish wrapping up the raccoon's leg Dale's gonna hand his mom the brochure with a little flower kind of pressed inside he's gonna be like I wanna go one more time I think I could be good at this. I want to go. Okay. We'll start saving up. And we pan out. From the worst day of Dale's life. Lucas, you're in your room, having just uh, ratted out your old roommate to the cops. The computer has offered you more, and you said yes. It sits there, and it says, first, I would like some names. What kind of names? I want you to tell me the name of every single person that has wronged you. I'm here to help. Now, if we do this, we do this on my terms. I'm I'm not... I'm not letting you call how they get punished. <laughs> okay. You are more plucky than I thought. 
So what, you have access to a bunch of security cameras around, uh, the school? Ha ha ha. Sure. Alright, that, that doesn't explain how you had my computer working when everything was unplugged. What I offer is a trial period of a learning program. Alright, it'll teach me how to do that. Sure. Lesson one. Lucas Fur. Reality is what you make it. Lesson two. If you know the language. Green lights. And the thing shuts down. Green lights. That's it. Would that mean anything to me? You are a very smart person, so go ahead and give me a sharp roll to just guess it before they can creepily show you what it is. Five. Five. Great. I'm going to hold that for later. Through your blinds, uh, green lights show through. And if you look out, you see a limousine with green headlights. I'm going to get kidnapped. And I uh, throw on a hoodie and head outside. <laughs> they can't kidnap me if I choose to go. <laughs> you do so you go outside the lights flash and do you get in the car yeah you get in the passenger section and there's no one driving the car and it just starts uh if you're listening i don't really trust these self-driving things they don't recognize children at crosswalks your phone beeps. Red text. Haha, ha, I recognize children just fine. The limousine drives down through the town, and we see that where every intersection it goes, the lights change green. Never once breaks the law. Perfect speed every single time. But because it changes so abruptly... Other cars get into accidents. Huh. So, what do you want? We have many great offers. I want knowledge. I want power. Knowledge is power. If you know enough about someone, you can get them to do anything. You can shut people down. Yes. Correct. We want one favor. What's the favor? The car pulls up to a warehouse. It's an empty parking lot. No one's there. Get out of the car. You get out of the car. You're very trusting. Uh, not exactly trusting. 
Are you armed? Uh, I'm 15 now. Does anyone know where you are? Or where you're supposed to be? I'm supposed to be in my dorm. Who would come looking for you? Uh, I look at the GPS tracking on my phone to make sure it's on. It turns off. Dick move. Thank you. Well, go inside. It's like broken doors. Yeah. Clearly no one is here. Uh, they're going to sell my organs. And I head in. <laughs> <laughs> a little boy with a little death wish. You walk inside. You see an array of television screens. Hundreds upon hundreds of them. Looking at all walks of life across America. And then you notice that some of them are not America at all. They switch constantly. Different people, different places, different acts, different passwords, different bank statements, everything. Just sits in this place. Surely someone would have seen someone dropping off all of these televisions here. And yet here it is. And surely someone would steal them. They could. There's no power running through this building. Lucas, when you are looking at all of this, you feel this. What is your uh, drive? Uh, temptation. It's secrets. You have never held power over anybody in your life. Anytime you've tried, it blows up. And right now, in a sort of uncontrolled way, you are staring into the face of a way to get power, in quotes, over anybody and everybody. This mass surveillance thing, like fucking out of the dark night, is sitting here. Your phone binks. I'll look at it. Lucasfur. Do you know what monsters are? Yeah, like uh, uh, Frankenstein and Dracula. Good. What do you know about them? I mean, I browse a lot of forums. Uh, I I don't know. <sighs> Sigh. You're making this very difficult, Lucasfur. Well, anyways, we want you to become one. No? <laughs> we thought you'd say that. It's a little late. Uh, and we see a lot of these TV screens switch over to your uh, daily life. We suddenly see your parents' lives. We suddenly see your teachers' lives. We, we see every minute of your day is suddenly cataloged by every single screen you've passed by. We're not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. We just want you to do it. We want you to run some tests. Tests I can do. Yes, yes. Good. Thank you. 
Come. Put your phone on the TV. I put my phone on the TV. And when you do so, your hand is sucked inside. And we see as a sort of massive magnification down to the, like the skin cells on your hand. This spark. As if we, we've seen wood burning with like two electrodes put on the opposite ends of a plank starts to form this design that begins to scar through your, uh, your fingerprints, your skin cells, and your phone. And when you yank it, we see your phone say, Power Hell, uploading. Test one. Be creative. The TV switch to empty parking lots all across the world. What is your ideal monster? Let's see here. Let's give it... Let's make it a quadruped. Good. Uh, carnivorous, sharp teeth. Obviously. Uh, venom glands. Uh, paralysis venom glands. Yes, yes. And some sort of disorienting screech. Of course. We are reaching our data limit. Perhaps one more thing. Camouflage. Ooh. Great. So let's go over those details one more time. Quadruped. Paralytic venom. Sharp teeth. And camouflage. Wonderful. Okay. Go catch it. What? What? Test one. Go catch it. And we see, panning out here, an empty parking lot at a different time of day at a truck stop nearby. The footage from an hour earlier, no one was there. And suddenly, cars start to tear open, stomp inwards. People begin to scream and shout, but no one can see what is happening. Because the thing is invisible, more so than normal for most people. And the qualities of the creature are added to your phone. Do you want more? Go catch it. Uh, I put my hand against that uh, TV screen uh, that it's on to see if I could like melt through it like I did uh, previously. You touch it, and suddenly, you realize you're watching a TV screen in a truck stop next to, like, you know, the classic foods, restaurants, and, like, a, a cafeteria area. There's, like, a, a convenience store. And you are in the building, 
and you see on your phone, power help, input, request, enter command. And they're screaming outside. People are rushing into the building. It's beginning to flood of people. I, I start to run towards the window to try to see what the fuck is going on. Lucas, you don't see anything. It's camouflaged. You did this. Uh, I type in the command, see it? Roll, use magic. Ten? Ten. Your eyes flare with electricity. And in every security camera through which you can see, suddenly, the creature is visible. And the creature... Uh, what does it actually look like? Uh, it looks like a giant saber-tooth Komodo dragon with... Uh, what's that dinosaur with the frilled neck? Trihorn? I don't know. That, That's the, a head. That Jurassic the, Park motherfucker. Yeah, that yeah, Jurassic yeah. Park motherfucker that spits. It has a frilled neck like that, except when the neck pops open, it lets out a uh, shriek that... Uh, disorients its prey before it pa- uh, paralyzes and devours it. Wonderful. It's a Dilophosaurus. Uh, Thank you. Don't tweet at us. <laughs> Lucas, I'm not trying to belabor this. I want you to tell me. Did you catch this monster? Yes. How many people are hurt? I want to say there's probably about one, there's one person dead, nine injured, and the truck stop is completely destroyed due to uh, a fire that was used to stop the thing. Great. We see it is now nighttime, you limping away from a destroyed truck stop, your phone in hand, and on your phone, it says that your trial period has ended, and you didn't remember to cancel it beforehand, so it's auto-pay. I have it linked to somebody else's credit card. Sure. Is there any uh, passing notes in your journey into the world of monster-making? Yes. I think when I get back immediately, I look at their their little source code that lets them use magic. Yeah. And I start to make changes, and that's how I discover my route to uh, summon monsters, is by taking their code and turning it on its head. For some reason, when you do this, the camera doesn't pan to your phone, it doesn't pan to the TV, pans out and looks at the moon above you. away Quincy how long has it been 15 20 years give or take and time has not been your friend What do you like now, worn down, 
by this journey with no reprieve. Uh, same wagon, but worse for wear. Still full of roughly the same amount of dictionaries, because Quincy ain't sold shit. Uh, same fiddle case, same clothes, but much, much shabbier. Uh, Quincy still has that twinkle in their eye, and they still have a very nice moustache that they take excellent care of. Sure. But, uh, a lot has gone gray. Yeah. You've aged quite a bit, and mm, arguably not as, as, as well as you'd hoped. That music has been in your ear for 15 goddamn years. And no matter what direction you go, you have not been able to chase it or go get any closer or nearer to it. What's going through your mind at this point in your life? I think Quincy is very lonely. Um, They've had friends come and go. They've met other people like them. But nothing, no safety has ever been permanent. Everything has been, uh, when something gets established, uh, society gets closer and it falls apart. And they're forced to the outskirts again. You depart one more town. And the next time you play this fiddle song that's been stuck in your head for 15 years, you realize that you've run out of road. And all that sits in front of you is a clearing in the wood. You knew... There's a pass there was supposed to be through these woods on your way to the next town. And there isn't a road at all. It's just this clearing in the wood and a circle of stones in the middle of the grass. Your current mule is not interested in moving forward. Unless it's the same mule, but in which case, still not happy. (laughs) No, I think it's probably a different mule. Uh, I do not know how long mules live, but yeah. Um, I guess we'll set up camp here. Uh, it's uh, a system that Quincy, you know, has worked out of tie off the mule, uh, unhitch part of the back, kind of make a tent situation, lean to, make a fire pit, etc. Yeah, yeah. As you are setting up camp and kind of trying to make yourself relatively cozy that song cuts in the back of your mind and then suddenly it's a little bit different before it was like encouragement to move like just keep trying just keep doing something and maybe you'll find the end and it suddenly changes and it's really soft and dreamy and lullaby-y and you feel this urge this like that ring of rocks looks nice someone didn't really it doesn't look like someone put like a lot of time to it they're not carved stones they're just river smoothed rock I pick one up you do so 
It it just feels nice in your hand. But when you look down at the circle of rocks, it now looks like it's like incomplete. Like the artistry has been stolen away a little bit. There's something in its sort of simplistic nature that made it kind of beautiful out here, alone in the wood. And in your hand, it's not quite the same. I think Quincy is going to almost childishly pretend that the Circle of Rocks is a stage. Yeah. And they're going to take out their fiddle and kind of crack their back a little bit and crack their neck and then stomp three times and go to play. You play. And as a fiddler, improv is probably something that comes fairly naturally to you, especially with all of these long hours on the road. And it's as if it was fresh and new. You feel as though you were about to go to sleep. You feel rejuvenated. But in like a... uh, like you're listening to a beautiful concert and you're 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 taking in that like sublime like wonder of it but it's yourself you're doing it but you haven't had the thought of I should play this music before it's not music that you've made or, or, or that you've heard before it's just you it's just pouring out of your brain onto this fiddle and you play and you play and we see that it gets considerably darker that you've been playing for maybe a couple hours without ever tiring or getting bored of it until it feels like the concert knows when it's over and you're done and there's no more music coming to your mind uh I think Quincy feels very satisfied and also uh, a little sad that their audience is trees and rocks and grass and that uh, they'll never have the adoration and acceptance that is truly due them. Um, Mm -hmm. And just wanting to like hold on to this dream of this stage, they're going to go to sleep right there. You find yourself sitting down and uh, getting your blanket and things. And as you do so, you start to enter that sort of dreamlike state you did years and years ago. And you feel warmth for the first time in a long while. Comfort. Like you're being rocked by a gentle wind. And you hear... Hush, my baby, baby, not mine. Come to a place of music and wine. Hear my sweet voice and lay your head low. Just close your eyes, to fairy will go. And you see what looks like soft, colorful, insectoid wings close in front of your face. And when you wake, it's morning. And uh, Quincy, where are we? 
We're in fairy. We see old growth, beauteous vines of red and golden leaves. We see flowers sprout in many colors that just ever so happen to be in the right arrangement where it's not gaudy. We see people dancing to the music you played. Dozens of people around little campfires, playing little flutes, ringing little bells, singing little songs. We see people dressed in vibrant colors. And they seem almost like out of time where their style of dress has no concern for what seems practical and just what they wanted to wear and maybe are still wearing after all of this time. We see people in, like, Rococo dresses. We see people in, uh, like, tail coats. We see people smoking, like, these long, like, obscene golden pipes or, like, those old, uh, what's it? Like, cigarette holders. Fragrant air moves around like perfume and incense and suddenly someone offers you a hand to stand up I take it you do and you see this uh, this beautiful uh, uh, trans woman she's like bald uh, just like all over uh, she has these like giant earrings like they hang to touch her shoulders and she wears uh this like strange mishmash of makeup where it's it's quite thick about the lips and then like flared like butterfly wings around her eyes uh and she picks you up and swirls you into a dance and we see people not a a moment of confusion or worry or asking like why you're here they just ask you to dance. Quincy, what do you do? Uh, Quincy smiles for the first time in a very, very long time. There's a, a sort of communal thing that everyone does when it's your turn to dance with them, where they touch foreheads to yours. It's But it's, it's very, very sort of chaste in that, like, they get a, a brief moment to like look up into your eyes, and you do the same. And people look excited to see you. And then you're swirled on to the next person. Days pass upon days pass of this submersion, like falling into a water of, of, of joy and change. Quincy, what's the best thing about this place? I think that there's not any need. Like, in Quincy's home reality, there's this constant need of protection and money and resources and food and shelter and this constant wandering from place to place looking for those things and working for those things and not like 
hustling in the like 2023 like business bro mindset but 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 hustling in this mindset of like I need to make sure my needs are met and I need to perform in a way that will allow me to get those needs met and I need to present a version of myself that will enable me to meet those needs whereas here there's there's no need there's no want there's no presentation there's just existence and happiness and fulfillment their communication is wonderful if you're unsure of something they just tell you things flow or or things that don't need to be said just aren't said and they never ask anything more than you're willing to give and they entreat you to whatever you like and they adore desire and whimsy if you want to put on a play suddenly people jump up it's time to put on a play they'll get together they'll write scripts they'll sing songs they'll write their own lyrics, and they might not always be good, but that's not important. That's not the part that anyone cares about. What matters is that they do it, because they want to. And that alone is enough for them. How do the next decades go? Too quickly. Um, Everything goes by very very slowly here in Neverland um but Quincy is happy and fulfilled and not fully aware of time passing other than other strangers show up with strange clothes that Quincy doesn't recognize yeah um and that's kind of like, oh, that's a new style, huh? Tie-dye. Crazy. Um, it's maybe not good. <laughs> but that's not the point. <laughs> no, it's, it's very gaudy and bad. Um, but uh, this, this vague idea of, will this last forever it seems to be and i like it very much so hopefully it is and it will and quincy is just very uh thrilled to be on this ride as it were quincy's never caught a break and they they are very thankful that they've caught like the best fucking break yeah quincy uh decades go by in this sort of delirium of of fun and and existence and living and living and though you don't age you feel still something is off something is different like you feel this internal fear that one day this will be taken from you you don't know why maybe it's just this internal thing that's held with you for a while but you get this sensation this will be taken from you and no one else seems to feel that. They can only offer condolences that, that that's happening to you, but they don't know why and they don't know how to help. I think some people leave 
right? You know, some of these Sometimes. other strangers have come and gone, but some yeah. Sometimes it can be hard to notice because people will go off for like weeks and come back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes people just never come back. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> and, fucking staying right here. And no one's mentioned anyone dying or anything like that. No one's aged. No one's gotten sick. Sometimes people just snap out. Like, they're just not allowed to be here anymore. Quincy, what does your worst day look like? Uh, Quincy's worst day looks like uh, waking up in an abandoned Pizza Hut parking lot in... Uh, there is a weird circle of like crushed soda cans and beer bottles uh, and Quincy's wagon is there and the clothes they were wearing before are on them and it is the year of our lord 2023 and Quincy has just popped back into existence um, hold on. No, it's probably not 2023. Uh, Quincy probably popped up a few years before whenever this campaign is taking place, so... Perhaps 2020? We'll, we'll, we'll give him 20, 2018. Okay. They've been in the, the modern day for a minute. And Quincy... Don't want had... them to miss out on COVID, you know? Oh, how yeah. fun that's gonna be. You've had no warning... Nothing told you this was going to happen. No sign, no feeling made you feel like you were distant. You just did. And you never got to say goodbye. What do you look like in this moment? Um, I think Quincy looks just like shocked and confused and fucking pissed off at the unfairness of this and what the fuck is a pizza hut and like Quincy has broken like none of this makes sense none of this is okay none of this is fair like what the fuck where the fuck am I you tear into this this screaming crying rage uh, as you have once again been left out and excluded. People show up to inquire what's happening, but I, I can't imagine you care what, they, what they're trying to get from you because they clearly aren't where you're from and they have no idea what you're talking about. And you're just now in the modern day alone once more. As we close out, how do you enact this feeling upon the world? I think as someone is trying to, like, calm Quincy down and, uh, you know, see about getting them some help, Quincy 
stumps three times and centers himself and kills the guy and starts going through his pockets and takes his wallet and keys. And you get in their station wagon, I assume. Hell, yeah. Christ. Uh, yeah, they they die, and uh, as you get in their car and drive off, I fill it with books. You fill it with books. First editions, baby. And start writing your own. Let me close out on you. It's morning again. And just before it's time to go to work, Carrie comes running up the stairs in your, like, 13-floor housing uh, to your tiny room. Uh, And uh, shows you uh, this, uh, like, letter. She did open it. It was for you. She did open it and read it. Uh, But from the... uh, It's it's just called the Savannah Theater. From the opera company you auditioned for. And she says, just read it. You, you, have an, you have a happy expression, but that's... Oh my, oh my god. Carrie, Carrie, is this, is this real? This no, I forced be... last night. <laughs> I'll, I'll kill you, sure. Oh my god. I did it! I did it, Carrie! You're going to be an actor? Oh. Oh my god, I can't wait to quit my job. What's the sh- what's the show? Oh, uh, tell me what the show is. I think it's the uh, importance of being earnest uh, by Oscar Wilde. I'm so excited for you. <sighs> Just uh, don't forget me now when you become all big and famous and such. Of course I won't. We had a deal. Yes. If one of us becomes famous, the other one becomes famous. As it should be. Carrie, uh, do you always open my mail? It was just today. And we know that's not true. (laughs) I just want to know if I need to, like, mm, buy dinner tonight. You know, for a bad day. Or buy dinner for a good day. I'll buy dinner tonight. Ah. This is amazing. This is the start of my life, Carrie. This is the start. Okay. Okay. Well, well, I have to put in a couple more shifts just to make sure that I have some money. Right, because they don't pay you till the end, right? Yeah, yeah. That's quite silly, you think? Okay, well, uh, I'm going to go to the newspaper um, and uh, see you tonight. Can't wait for you to start rehearsals. I'll come with you to your first one. I'm so excited. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to (laughs) cry. Our life begins today. 
uh, and they give uh, Carrie like a big hug and, and lift them a little bit off the ground um, as they hurry out of the door to get to work on time. We hear the whistle of the factory as you are just running through the double doors on your your, your very good day. Uh, and a sort of disgruntled, like, oh, I could have told you off, uh, Trout Claws. Through the door, and then, as is tradition in the factory, they lock the doors of the padlocks so no one can get out. Perfectly. Because if you remember that they did that. <laughs> Perfectly normal business practice. Yeah, that's what factories did back in the day. Isn't that good? But anyways. And the day is going fast. Because why wouldn't it? Is it going to be your last couple shifts here at the, uh, the fish canning factory? You think? Until machinery starts acting up, starts to jostle and shake a bit. Someone makes a call to Trout, like some should, uh, maybe the like inspector or someone should come take a look at it, and he tells them to get back to work. And if they uh, if they don't, he'll dock their pay. And they continue on because they can't lose their jobs because they'll starve. It's a terrible time to live. And the machinery in your specific session, this uh, like press where you put the aluminum tops onto the cans, is to vibrate really, really rapidly. Like really, really, really rapidly. Uh, uh, can we? We should get one of the mechanics back in here. I think like they're struggling. What did I say about talking? With the. The machine isn't working properly. It looks like it's still... It's, it's not stuck. It's just shaking. It's old machinery. It's going to do that from time to time. And they, like, kind of trot off. Uh, I think that uh, Whistler, like, puts their hand in their pocket and kind of gives the letter, like, a little squeeze. Uh, and just shakes their head and, and grips the uh, lever tight and just goes back to working. Knowing that their days here are numbered. As you uh, pass one can under the thing, it goes off way too early, and it smashes your hand through the can and breaks it in many different places. You never pulled the lever. And then it raises up. I mean, they howl with pain and try to call for... Like help. I don't know if we keep anyone with medical training in this factory because it's a factory in the early 1900s, but... Certainly not. Yeah. Uh, people start screaming that you need help for one, there's blood in the thing, and they need to get out. And Trout says that the other machines are working. Just go to those. You can have five minutes to bandage up your wound cradling their broken hand and trying to kind of like they pull the apron that they're given off and they're trying to like wrap their hand up Whistler just says fuck it fuck it uh, and goes over to the padlock and tries to just like it's just kind of frantically shaking it they're not really thinking straight because they're in pain and they're pissed and they just yeah. want to leave and they don't care we see one of the machines where the conveyor belt begins, very, very suddenly, explode. 
people all around the factory are blown away. Some people, little cogs or or uh, you know pieces of steel of the of the, of the machine, instantly die as it goes through their skulls. And we see, from your perspective, oozing out of where the tuna came from, this yellow mold. This slime begins to breathe and pulse as it stretches down across the vats and the machinery. People scream. And they try to find the key. But Trout died, and he did not have the key on him. Burdock, what do you do? Um... I think that uh, a bunch of the more, like, well-built factory workers are scrambling to try to find uh, like, uh, maybe a heavy barrel or other implements they can use as a battering ram and are just kind of frantically trying to beat the door down. And uh, Burdock Whistler is just sort of frozen, standing there, holding their hand, just staring at this, like, sickly mold that's leaking everywhere, and sort of going, does anyone, did anyone see that? Did anyone see that? What am I seeing? What is that? No one knows what you're talking about. They think maybe, like, this tuna or something leaking out of the top. We need to get out. They're yelling at you. Why are you still standing there? Huh, we need to leave. Are there windows in the Yeah, factory? for sure. If you were able to, like, scale one of the, the machineries, like, through the piping of it and the sort of framework, you could probably get out. Yeah. I think that uh, Huck uh, feels the letter in their pocket again and holds it tight and presses it to their lips and gives it a kiss before they stuff it you know, like by their uh, chest, and they start to try to scale one-handedly this piece of malfunctioning equipment to get to the window. Yeah, roll me act under pressure and a minus uh, minus one because you don't have one less hand. One less hand. That is a failure. As you scroll your way up the the machinery, your hand. Uh, uh, starts to slip as one of the pieces breaks off. It's old and rusty and they just hadn't replaced it and you reach out with the other one and it's broken and bloody but you hold tight. You think you're going to slip but you hold tight and you realize that your hand has stuck to some of the copper wire of the machinery as lightning courses through your body. We see that slime mold covering the palm of your hand as it begins to release from the force of the thing. And as you fall downward into the factory, we see every other person in this building. One by one, and sometimes in large masses, drop fully dead. And as you lie there, your hand pulsing with that yellow slime mold staring up into the sky. You hear rescuers, firefighters do show up and open the doors. Less than a minute 
after you fell to the ground. Your little letter falls from your chest pocket. Whistler, what happens? I think they are lying there and the world is going black. And they, with their good, better hand, are just feebly kind of fingering around and, and, and looking to clutch the letter. And mumbling breathlessly through the pain. This is all I've ever wanted. But this was it. But this was it. And they die. And that's it. And the years go by. You, gone. Carrie actually becomes a very successful playwright. Without your sort of weird ideas about how to tell people how to feel. She has no inhibitions and she writes from her heart. It's good. Your parents mourn your loss. And never see you again. When do we see you again? I think that uh, Whistler was buried in sort of a mass grave. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't really like have an actual headstone or anything. Uh, there was no way that Savannah was going to send remains all the way back to Kansas yeah. to their family. Um. And we see this sort of unmarked large swath of ground where a number of less influential and rich people are buried. And among the moss and the greenery that is growing out of it, we see a little bit of that yellow mold again. And reaching up through the soft earth, we begin to see these spectral blue fingers as Whistler pulls themselves out of the grave. Now uh, a ghost. And we, the audience, see panning down, down, down into the dark earth Whistler's corpse, which has largely decayed, but along their skeleton is this strange sort of network of pulsing mold as a part of the monster was embedded in their corpse and has done something to what they used to be. And we pan away from the year 1902. And we see one final little image of someone wearing a headlamp in the dark. At a distance, we only see their hands moving until they open some sort of briefcase. And they draw out this vial of a sickly green substance. And muffled screams precede the words 
You're not finished yet. And we close out.